Welcome back to another episode of The Game Plan, our first episode of season three. Jay, how's it going, man? Tim, I am psyched to be back, man. This is a really, really fun episode. And uh, I think we should just mention, uh, for folks that maybe didn't hear our welcome back episode that we launched, we're trying a little bit of a new format this season. Yeah, that's right. We wanted to take the opportunity to incorporate some of our listener feedback and go a bit deeper with our guests. So in order to do that, we're splitting it up and we're taking on our guests one-on-one. So this episode will be the first time where we go kind of one-on-one. I think we actually maybe did it a couple times last season, but it's great to hear and very exciting guests. We have uh, IndyCar driving legend, Tony Kanaan. Yeah. So Tony and I connected actually through one of his investments that he is a part of And he is just, I mean, quite the fascinating individual. So not only is he the Iron Man of IndyCar, he has been racing for close to two decades. But on top of that, he is an actual Iron Man. He runs Iron Man uh, marathons and he trains for these triathlons. And on top of that, he has become a tech investor and just a really thoughtful individual about what it takes to compete at a high level. And how he knew that he still had, pardon the expression, some gas left in the tank. And so Tony and I really got uh, deep into a lot of those things. Yeah, I love the performance mindset. Every time you and I talk to one of our guests, it gets us fired up. And Tony's definitely one of those guys that makes us both feel not insignificant, but you know, that we could maybe be doing a little bit more since he's doing our jobs as investors, but then also setting records in the IndyCar and then and doing Ironmans. What kind of stuff did you get into with him as it relates to some of the business things he's been focused on off the track? Yeah, so one of the, the first questions that I wanted to get into him with was, you know, racing for folks that maybe have seen, you know, Drive to Survive or have followed F1 and IndyCar and NASCAR. It is a sport where money wins, right? You can be the best racer, but if you're not in the right car, you don't have the right team, it can be tough to compete. And so with the sort of added pressures of that, then also his own sort of stated goal of investing in products that he really cares about, I wanted to understand how how Tony got into it and how he balances the sort of money side of the sport with also his personal authenticity. The one thing I think our listeners will really love is like, Tony is authentic, man. He is direct. He he tells it like it is, and he does not mince words. And I think this was a great example where having the ability to really go one-on-one and just let him drive the conversation with just some of the opinions he has about maybe how athletes get taken in on the endorsement or investment side, how folks should be really thinking about maximizing the career in the later stages and, and sort of as they get older. I mean, all of that stuff we really got into, especially in terms of how he tries to focus on making this last season, or at least as he has said, his last season in IndyCar as successful as it can be, but then also keeping maybe one eye down the road to what he wants to be doing when he you know, finally hangs it up. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take away too much from your conversation, so let's get right into it. Here is Jay's conversation with IndyCar racing legend, Tony Kanaan. All right. I am excited to be joined by the Iron Man of IndyCar today, Mr. Tony Kanaan. Tony, thank you so much for joining us on The Game Plan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. I mean, you know, you are the first motorsport athlete and you're the first triathlete as well to join us on The Game Plan. So maybe we can uh, take a step back, do, uh, you know, a little bit of an origin story for those that don't know the proud tradition of Brazilian race car champions. Right. How you found your way into racing. And I, I remember when my mom saw me behind the wheel of my Toyota Camry, how she freaked out. So I can only imagine how that experience was for you first time racing. Think about this for people that don't know Brazil. Brazil is very famous for soccer, right? Soccer has been always our biggest sport, but racing was always the second one because we had extremely three generations of very successful race car drivers. It started with uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, then became Nelson Piquet, and the latest was Ayrton Senna, which they Netflixed. You know, some of the people had documentary on them. People that don't know these names can actually search, but those are the things that actually started to induce kids not to just get a soccer ball and go play soccer in the field because also it's a very easy, cheap way of doing it, right? You can actually play soccer with anything. You can make a ball out of a, you know, a sheet of paper and kick it. Motorsports, obviously it's an expensive, you know, hobby to have and not a lot of people can do that. But I mean, I grew up, I used to say every, like every single kid growing up, I play soccer and my dad probably realized how bad I was it. 
and uh, kind of suggests something else. Dad was very into racing. So we used to watch Formula One and IndyCar races on TV every Sunday. It was a father and son thing to do. And when I was eight years old, he took me actually to a, uh, a go-kart race, to a racetrack. And um, I think he had the intention already, but he wouldn't actually say, I'm going to buy you a go-kart. But watching the race, he said, that's pretty cool. I said, that's really cool. Can I try one? And that obviously, that was a question that uh, he was waiting for. We left that racetrack straight to the go-kart factory. There was actually a couple miles from the track. Bought a go-kart. Did not tell my mother, because like you said, we hide a go-kart in a race shop near the track, and we started going there on the weekends for me to try, to test. My dad will make up an excuse and tell my mom that we're doing a father and son thing, and we just leave. Well... It started to get old with my mother. And actually, my mom has every Latin person, the Latin people that are listening, they're going to really relate to this. Our women are extremely jealous. And they're very, very protective of us. Mom started to get suspicious about my dad. What was he doing with his kid that we were gone Saturday and Sunday all day from nine to five? And for some twisted reason, she thought my dad was actually having an affair and taking me as an alibi. Say, you know, if I take my kid, he won't say anything. Because you're gone for the whole day. You're gone for hours. The whole day. day. Yeah. (laughs) And he wouldn't tell her, you know, granted, back in the days, we had no cell phone trackers. We had none of that, especially in Brazil. She confronted him one weekend and said, if you don't tell me where you guys going and then, you know, went on and on and blah, blah, blah. I think you're cheating on me, this and that. And actually, when he broke the news to her that I was go-karting, it wasn't that bad because <laughs> she was expecting something so bad. So it was a great strategy. Right. Dad was extremely smart. So I think, uh, and that went like that. So I started racing when I was eight. Unfortunately, my dad passed away uh, when I was 13 years old. Yeah. He got sick. He had cancer for the longest time. And uh, unfortunately, he passed. And uh, But during this, this years that he was sick, he was always, I think expecting the, the worst and uh, he was mm. always trying to teach me things in life right so how to be able to take care of my mom and my sister and the racing career that i was really good at i won six brazilian championships uh, on the course of the years that i start so i was actually extremely successful that what i was doing so dad made me promise him one night uh, like actually it was a, a thursday night he, he was in a hospital but for me, that going to a hospital, it was actually not a big deal. He was in and out of hospital for three and a half years. Yeah. So, but he actually, that night, he asked my mother to come grab me at home because he wanted to speak to me. And we sat down. Um, we had a very nice conversation. He was lucid. No signs of, yeah, he was sick, but not like when you talk about somebody that is sick, thinking that he's intubated or in a coma or anything like that. We, I sat in his bed and, and we talked. And one of the speeches that he was being preaching for, the past three and a half years that he was sick, he was like, look, you need to promise me that if one day something happens to me, you're going to take care of your mom and your sister, but you're not going to give up racing. You're really good in what you do, blah, blah, blah. I said, dad, of course, of course. Well, that night I went home and I had a race that weekend. So I had to wake up early on Friday. I usually skip school on Friday, which kids don't do that. But I had, we, we tested all Friday and then qualify Saturday and race Sunday. I woke up in the morning to go to the track and my mother was home, which is very unusual. And she's used to sleep with him in the hospital and mom approached me and sat in the bed with me and obviously broke down and then told that dad had passed that night, which I couldn't believe it at first because I just had talked to him. Like I said, what do you mean? He was fine. I've always said that I think he decided to go. I think he was, he said, this is enough. So I said, okay, well, I, I'm going to go to the racetrack, if you don't mind. I promised him, and she knew about it. She said, sure. So anyway, I went to the track, qualified first on Saturday, won the race on Sunday, and that's how to make a little story short. Otherwise, we'll talk about the podcast, uh, (laughs) the entire podcast about my life. That's how I started racing. But back in Brazil, racing was extremely popular, and that's how I started. I really appreciate you sharing that story. And as somebody who has also lost a parent to cancer, I know know how much there lessons leave an impression on you and the things that you're doing. And and so even so many years later, it still obviously carries with you. I guess on that, the, the motivation I'm sure changes over the years, right? You are the Iron Man of IndyCar. You've been doing this for 
many decades. And I'm sure at first it's living up to that expectation. Mm -hmm. Then you win. I mean, how does the motivation change at different stages of your career now having, you know, achieved excellence at those high levels? I mean, Jay, I think for anybody when, you know, I know you interview many successful athletes in your podcast, but it has to start with love. You've got to love what you do. Otherwise, there is no point. I've never in a million years when I was eight years old and I said, I want to be a race car driver because I want to be famous and I want to be rich because mm. that's what race car drivers do, right? I just wanted to race. I want to win races. I want to break records. I want to go fast. The motivation for me, it's not that hard because becoming a professional athlete, people don't realize how hard that is. They only see, oh, he drives an expensive car. He lives in a good house. He has a lot of money. What it takes. And I think if people be listening to your podcast, anybody that came here showed you guys, there's a lot more into it, right? So to me, was winning is addicting. So the motivation is there. The more that you get there, the more you want to stay on top, the more pressure you get, the more opinions, especially nowadays with <laughs> social media, people, everybody has an opinion and can hide behind a camera or a or a tablet and tell you exactly what they think, but they won't have the courage to tell you in your face, but they will, they do it anyway. Yeah. So the motivation's being there, first of all, because the promise that I made my dad, 100%. And then you make it. Now it's like, I want to do more, but I want to do more for myself. And then over the years, you start setting examples for young kids that it's possible. A kid that had no money probably chose one of the most expensive sports. Yeah. It's different than a football player or a soccer player or any, because you're relying on you, on your physique and how you're going to get there. Here, you got to buy equipment. You got to buy a go-kart. You got to need a sponsor to go do races. It's not just you. So to show the people that it's possible, then to inspire kids to say, listen, yeah, I mean, I lost my dad. Look at the story. Some people think it's a very tragic story. It's just a story. It's just my mm -hmm. life. That's what life throws at me. Yeah. I can't sit here and dwell on why me. I'm not going to say I never asked that question. You know, when you're 13, 14 and you're struggling, that you have to work hard. And I mean, I quit school. I was in eighth grade because I had to work because we don't have it. We didn't have any money to help my family and also keep my dream and my promise to my dad. So the motivation, it's, it's every day, Jay. It's, it's not one thing. I mean, when people ask me, why are you still doing it? You know, like, because I love, I mean, people are like, wow, we have so much money. This because people assume us we're all billionaires. And I mean, yeah, I do. Do I have more money than I ever thought I was going to have? 100%, but that's not the point. Yeah. That's not the point that you do that you start your podcast. You're, you're trying to help people back, right? Yeah. Yes, it's good to get paid. I need to get paid for what I do because that's just life. But the motivation, it changes. Yeah. It's a different one every day. Well, it's certainly helpful to hold on to, to something as you're training, right? And, and I, you know, one of the interesting things that I learned about you is that the average, I think, race car trainer probably works out once a day. You train like an Ironman. <laughs> three you times, train, three <laughs> times a day. <laughs> right? And you're training truly like you are a, you know, a professional triathlete. So talk to me about what the average maybe training of a racer looks like and then what the average training of, of Tony Kanan looks like. Here's the thing. I don't know. I think because I was committed to my profession so early in my life that I actually conduct my life like it's a race. It's like a career. I don't do anything okay. half. If you say, Tony, we're going to do a podcast. We're going to be the best podcast we're going to do. Heck yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to, you're going to have an interview me. You probably, I hope I can give you the best interview we've ever had. And so yeah. to me, that's what drives me, right? So if I, I picked another sport, I can't, I'm nowhere near a professional triathlete. I don't even have the time, but I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm not going to lack. So a normal training day for a race car driver. We don't drive the cars that much because it's so expensive. The rules don't allow it because, I mean, the most sensible thing to do is you're a race car driver. You drive a race car every day. You don't need to work out because that's what basketball players do. Football players do. Yeah, you go to the gym here and there. But So I would say three times a week, you go to the gym. You do some core exercise, some neck exercise, shoulders, lifting some weights, everything very specific to the car. And another two times a week, three times a week, you go to the gym and you do a cardio. And the other two, you just do a cardio because believe it or not, 
driving the car can really raise your heart rate. Like my max heart rate is at 165. I get to 165 driving the car, which is hard to believe because you're sitting down. People are like, how can you raise your heart rate like that? Four Gs and 230 miles an hour, trust me, it will get you up there. So that's a normal training. Tony kind of on training because I mix that with my Ironman inspirations and trying to be a better athlete. I pretty much train, I would say, between three to four hours a day. So 25 hours a week. My day starts really early at 4.30 in the morning. We have young kids, so I do go to bed at nine o'clock at night. Guys, please don't don't be mad at me, but my phone goes on do not disturb at 8.45 p.m. Yeah. And it's just a routine. So 4.30 in the morning, I do either my swim, my run, or my cycling. Depends on the day. Then I wake up, give the kids breakfast. I have four kids. I take them to school. I go to the gym. I do my specific workout for the race car. Then pick them up in school, take a nap. Around 12.30, I meditate for 30 minutes. Nothing special. People ask me, what's the secret? It's not really. The meditation could be just to put my headphones on, lay in bed, and try to rest for 30 minutes, whatever feels good. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I go and there's, there are plenty of startups and apps with you know some great meditation anyway. And then around 3.30 in the afternoon, I go for the third workout of the day, which it could be anything, the cycling, the running, but the gym usually is in the morning. And then all the other three, the cycling, the running and the swimming, I kind of play it by what days. That's when a normal week, when I'm actually home, when we're racing, we always leave Thursday morning. Then I try to actually get a run at the racetrack that we're at on Thursday. And then Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you're on track driving the cars. So then I don't work out. So the interesting thing that I think hearing sort of all of that, right, is I'm sure some of that has changed over the last few years with technology because the simulators have now gotten so good that you're mm -hmm. able to log those simulator hours. And I remember, you know, I spent a lot of time studying the psychology effect of VR. And it's just interesting thing where when you train in VR, you actually remember it like a memory. Whereas, you know, when you're watching a movie, you remember it like, oh, I was there watching a movie. Right. With the hours, I'm sure that you're logging in the simulator. I've watched some of the stuff that you've done on, you know, YouTube and Discord where you're sharing your simulator sessions. What is that experience like for you? And, and how well does it map to what you're actually doing on the course? The simulation, it's very early days. It, is they're it? like everybody that sees me doing it. I do it for two reasons, especially during the pandemic. We were all going to go crazy. I mean, apart from my workouts, but we created a a pretty good connection with the fans. People wanted to know what I was doing. And I actually started simulating just a year ago. I've never done it. It's been a trend through the manufacturers. Now every team has one, but we do for a specific, you know, to go to racetracks and try to refresh your memory. I mean, granted, we race every year at the same places, but once a year. So by the time I'm going back this weekend, I'm racing in St. Louis, but I haven't raced in that track for a year. So it would be nice to have a little bit of a, a prep right? So it's like a recon course, but the simulators are actually a little bit away, far away from the reality still. For somebody like me, from you, if I put it there, you're going to think is the most realistic thing you ever had, which is true. Graphics and racetracks are perfect. Feeling, yeah, you can have motion, you can have, there are still some adjustments, which I think it's quite normal. I mean, you're talking about a computer against real life. I mean, anything that simulates, I think you can tell, you can argue with anything that somebody tried to simulate. Even a robot doesn't walk like a human, right? There are some pros and cons, but I am actually on the simulator at least two hours a day, either for fun, connecting to the fans on Twitch and playing with people or trying to do like yesterday. I did a five-hour session on the Honda simulator, which is the professional one that we're not playing. We're actually with the, the real engineers preparing for the race this weekend. So that is part of my training. And then it becomes, as a race car driver, you're, tr you're always trying to find the edge on somebody else. And we're always limited on equipment as far as I can't make my car go faster if I'm stronger, but I can make myself quicker with my reflexes and this and that. And that's when, you know, I start digging and trying to find things that you're not going to tell other people, which defeats the purpose because I'm telling everybody that is listening <laughs> what I do. But uh, that's something that, you know, I started it a couple of years ago. Apart from the physical part of it, you got to be strong. Yes, you have to be physically fit because to me, the fatigue 
makes you make mistakes. And you're talking about driving a race car at 230 miles an hour, this close to the wall, an inch from the wall. You can't make a mistake. And when you get tired, you make a mistake. If your neck hurts and you start concentrating on that, I mean, so for me, the workout was always to be able to, I wanted to finish an IndyCar race, get out of the car and say, can we do this again? And that's why I trained so much. And I think I achieved that. Nowadays, it's pretty easy. But then over the years, you try to keep up with technology as well. We try to be open-minded, right? As successful as you are and then being an investor in startups, I don't want to become my parents that don't even know how to work on a tablet, right? We, I'm, My biggest fear, it's become that dad. So I'm always looking and my kids think I'm the coolest dad because I'm 46 year old. I have a 14 year old and, and I have a channel on Twitch that he thinks is the coolest thing because all his friends have, but his dad's friends, they, they're like, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. And I play games and proper games that they play. I think our generation... I'm not calling you as old as me, but we kind of caught up to that. I want to be up to speed. And that leading to that, that's basically, it leads to other things that what could I do to become a better race car driver apart from things that everybody else does? Well, an, an aspect of that, Tony, is that you've also been a fan favorite with racing fans, with IndyCar fans for many years. And some of that is just the openness, right? Being, sharing your workout, sharing your simulator sessions, it is an interesting thing now, having done two seasons of the show, you know, a lot of athletes are starting to think about that because as they, you know, go into retirement or they're thinking about things they want to do off the field or off the court, their personalities have now been become to the forefront because of social media. You don't have to wait for a reporter. Now you can post your workouts on Instagram and people like you and they follow you. How much thought do you give to that when you're saying, okay, this is for me, this is for Tony, and then this I have to do for the fans? Or is it something that you enjoy doing for the fans? It doesn't work well with me when I have to do something because, mm. in my opinion, it's not natural. I understand that we have to do things, but things that I have to do, I have to wake up and take my kids to school. I have to educate them. I have to discipline them. I have to be disciplined as long as I want to be in this position and driving race cars because... I have to be fit for it because I also have a responsibility to come home, you know, after a race because anything can happen. So as far as the social media goes, I try to be me. Nobody controls my page. Nobody posts for me. People that post for me, it's because I actually I'm busy and he, the person is actually shooting what I'm doing and posting. But it's not like, oh, I'm going to say, hey, Benito is a guy that works for me. And this is Benny. Can you post this? But. If I ask him to do something like that, the post is ready to go. I'm just asking him to wait a couple hours because I'll be on the plane, this and that. So to me, this connection, I love the connection. I think uh, I always try to put myself on the other side. If I was a Tony Kanan fan, what I would like to see Tony Kanan do? Well, you can see me racing. You can turn the TV. I'm on TV. That's what does he do? Is he a normal person? What car does he drive? What's his routine? And that's what people want to know. And that's what I try to actually show the fans and people that follow me. I'm a normal person. I have my fallouts. I have a bad day because yeah. social media is amazing, right? Some people like, you're like, wow, look at it. They're always happy. You never see somebody posting or rarely see somebody saying, oh, my, I cried all day today. But it's all this fake world that people try to make, right? And you see this young kid's, trying to embottle somebody's watch to take a picture or find a nice car and pretend that it's theirs. I mean, that kind of stuff. Anyway, I just like, I open my life like I am who I am and this is who I am. And I think people related to that, that I'm a normal person. I'm no different than none of you guys. I'm just a very lucky guy that got to do something extremely special. So why not show it? Is there a way that you have to walk that line between remaining authentic and then obviously in a sport where sponsorship is so important to your longevity with your team, your ability to have the best team and the car and the engineering. The sponsor aspect always plays into it. And we are in this interesting world where athletes are choosing to be strategic advisors with startups as opposed to having an endorsement deal. Is there a line you have to walk with endorsers specifically, but still be authentic to who you are and presenting yourself? A hundred percent. That's the fine line of what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to make money hmm. or are you trying to do something with passion? Then you can also make money. Again, I like money. Everybody likes money. But to me, I also 
you know, I have a huge responsibility becoming a public person and becoming somebody that people look for to be careful what message I'm sending. Uh, X company is going to pay me an X amount of million dollars to endorse the product that I really don't believe it is, but you're trying to push it. My choice. I don't think I would do it. There are plenty of other people that will. So please go ahead because people don't care or have a different way of thinking. So to me, anything that I got involved, any endorsement that I had, any sponsorship that I had was because I like it. Or obviously in the race car, I'm talking about my entrepreneur side of it, like business that Tony Canal needs to put because I'm, I am my own brand, right? So, and if I damage that, it, look how long it takes. As you know, we, we talk off air right before, it takes years to build a brand. It takes one little single mistake and you'll be done. So I'm extremely careful when I'm putting, uh, Tony Cannon is endorsing this, right? It's huge. Yeah, anything can happen. You can, you know, people make mistakes. You might believe in a company that it's, you ended up finding out that whatever. But I mean, sponsorship wise, I was very lucky that all the sponsors that I got involved or became friends, advisors. I mean, I, I'm really close to the CEO of 7-Eleven that has been the CEO of 7-Eleven for 15 years. And that's one of my mentors. And there is a couple other guys that I call for advice. But as far as endorsements and investments, I'm very spoiled. I'm only going to put money if I believe it's a good product. And trust me, I lost huge opportunities, a couple actually, that I could be even richer, but I didn't believe it in the cause. And it was my mistake, but that's the way life is, right? Yeah, I think it's a fair point. And I, you know, coming back to the topic we were just talking about around social media, I tend to think fans and consumers have a, a better nose for bullshit, right? And so I think if it's somebody and it looks like they're reading a hostage video and, and it's, you know, this is my brand, I think we just have a better nose for it. Maybe that, I don't know, this I'm sort of reflecting back, like, I don't think I did as a child and I would see somebody endorsing a box of Frosted Flakes. I probably would. I wouldn't buy it just because of that. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's a good way to say it. So I think I think it's it's a fair point there. So I guess pivoting to that, right? You've now become a strategic advisor uh, with some startups. The the one that we got connected through was Reflection, and you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier training your eyes and training your reflexes is just as important as some of the work that you're doing in the gym. So let's maybe then talk a little bit about how you connected with that team and what drew you into the product. So actually, I gotta thank my trainer here in Indy, Jim Leo. He has this training facility that is really specified on race car drivers. It's very rare because it's not a business that the guy's going to make millions of dollars because you don't have, it's a gym that needs to actually survive and you have 10 race car drivers there. So it's kind of like the guy really loves what he does. And one day I'm in a gym and we're always talking about, because I, I bother, I mean, I bug them all the time. What's new. We need to find this. We need, we're always looking, I'm always sending them things that we need to do better. Or, and also guys, I mean, think about a person that works out, 25 hours a week, you have to innovate. Otherwise it gets boring. That is no way. Are you going to do biceps for 20 years? I mean, can we have another way that I can do biceps? Can I lift my kid? Let's think outside the box here. So Jim goes, hey, let's see how good you are on your reflexes. I'm like, I'm a race car driver, man. I drive at 240 miles an hour. My reflexes are awesome. Well, let's see. And he introduced me to the reflection device. And, and I got my behind handed to a couple of young kids that are not even race car drivers because it's not related. Anyway, start doing it for people that are not extremely familiar with, which probably not. It's a new device, but it is pretty much, I'm going to simplify it so you guys can understand. It's a big screen, a big touch screen, and you have a software that basically you have plenty of different types of, I would call games, because actually my kids actually play. They think it's a game, but they're actually improving their reflexes. And some exercises, right, that you go through to see how quick you are. And a lot of the reaction stuff that anybody, it's not just race car drivers, I think. It's pretty cool when you see somebody react quick at something, right? Oh, we're going to drop a glass, somebody grabbed it. And so anyway. Got to the gym, started doing it, been doing it for two and a half years. It's neurotraining, which 
somebody says, do you know you can train your eyes and you can train your mind? I mean, yeah, you can train your mind to be able to read something, to memorize something, right? Like we just talked about, but like I never really thought that was going to give me an edge in a race car. And once you said it's going to give me an edge in the race car, then that was it. And I start trying to be, because as usual, they will have some ranks. And if you and I, we go there, it's going to give me my score. It's going to give your score. And then we start doing it. And we start incorporating that in my workout routine. Fasting forward, I meet Matt. One day it comes to the gym and we start talking. And I think Matt... And I never met anything by it. I never thought I'd investing any money in the company. None of that. I was just really, they came to shoot a video for Instagram to actually launch a new product and actually get the awareness of the product. And I think Matt, what Matt told me, you can ask him, but this is, I talked so passionately about the product that he says, I need this guy as a, a whatever, a partner, an investor on the board advisory. So because I gave him so many other insights as well, how do, can we improve this? Can we improve that? And, and that's how I started it. I mean, I love the product. It's extremely simple. You don't need a trainer. You don't need somebody to set it up for you. Once you get it, I have one in the living. I mean, we're in the basement here, but we have one here that the kids, we do sessions together. And although, you know, especially for kids, when you try to force something to them, it's for them, they're playing. They're playing, they see the score. And now the brothers are my 14-year-old thinks he's, you know, when we're 14, we think we're invisible or, you know, and he's being beating me. And I'm like, no, so I put them to bed and I come downstairs and I'm trying to improve. And But all that is, all you know, it's, it's a product also that is actually designed for athletes. I think it's something that now, obviously, like you said, we're, we're trying to get the awareness out, but it is a huge advantage. And I've been going through, especially here, I live in Indianapolis. I have a lot of connections with the Colts, the Pacers. I've been actually showing these guys and all the basket, the players are like, what? Like, it, it's everybody's like, it's basically the mentality, right, Jay? It's, yeah. Uh, how are you going to educate people? Let's talk about that a little bit, because I think anytime a new kind of training comes out, right? I remember when uh, the Whoop Band came out and a bunch of NBA players were wearing, we had, we had, you're wearing one. Matthew Della Vadova, he was on the podcast, uh, you know, in season one. And when he wore it, people, you know, the, first the NBA was trying to stop him and, you know, people didn't know what it was. And now it's a, you know, billion dollar mass market product. Every racer is wearing it, every trainer is wearing it. There's always the skepticism when there's a new kind of technology. So as you're sharing it, what is the skepticism for this? Well, Jay, we as humans, we are all we have a tendency to try to get like we believed in what we believe. And, and, and that's the biggest issue I see, especially on athletes. We're very conditioned to, I've never done this and I want everything. Why, why should I do it? Right. You go tell LeBron, hey, LeBron, what are you talking about? What I'm doing, it's fine. I'm not saying LeBron's, I'm going to give you an example, but sure. the guys that are being more successful are the guys that are being extremely open-minded to try different things. And that's when you get ahead because by the time we're showing this to people now, I'm already ahead of them because I've been doing it for two years, right? So it's trying to educate, but also as humans, we're always trying to get an affirmation, a confirmation from somebody else. We're very, you can tell me whatever you want, but we all are very insecure. As much as you think you are not, but it comes a confirmation. Why do we get companies to get athletes to endorse their product? Because we're trying to convince people that it's a good, well, Tony Kanan is using it, and then it's good for me. I'm the same. I'm including myself. It's not like, my, no, that's good. Well, who else is, you know what I mean? Like, oh, Tony, let's give Jay uh, an interview in his podcast. Okay, well, who is interview already? We all, it's natural. It's, it's part of human nature, right? And that's the thing. I mean, it, it, it's just been, it's been amazing how when people find out, it's like, how did I, why I didn't hear that before? And then it's just, that's how things get blown, especially nowadays, right, Jay? How, look at 15 years ago, you tried to invest in the company. You were going to have to set up 15 meetings a week, go door to door. You didn't have a Zoom call, but you also didn't have the awareness of other people endorsing your product for free because it's really a post that somebody did. How many people we've seen, companies that we've seen that was one post from this huge influencer that changed their lives? Sure, yeah. I think it's creating the awareness is the hardest part and the credibility because you, we all 
deep inside, we're all insecure, insecure and we're looking for a confirmation from somebody else that we believe is successful, more successful than us. I love that point, And I'll take it one step further. It's that I think as people, we are shifting our, our signals, our confirmation signals away from institutions and into people. So it used to be that the New York Times has said, this is the product. Now it's like, who's the person? Oh, it's somebody I respect, some individual. And part of it is, again, I think this shift of social media, everybody has a phone and a camera in their pocket, and everybody can become the expert in something, right? And now you have a YouTube channel, now you're reviewing things. So now when I'm looking to buy, I don't know, and you, I mean, I have so much random technology that I buy to test out. I don't look on what website has CNET reviewed it. I look on YouTube and I say, oh, this guy who I think is really smart, that's the guy. Yeah. Exactly. Which in a way you think about it, how cool that is, but also how dumb that is, because there is a fine line, right? Because you like Tony Kanan and Tony Kanan says, this yeah. headphones are the best. <laughs> You're going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. And you buy it and you go, man. Eh. And that's why I was telling you that I, I'm extremely careful with things that I endorse because at the end of the day, if I influence you to buy my product and it's bad, Tony Kanan is bad. It's not the product. Or you're going to go, see how many times we heard this? Well, they pay him a gazillion dollars. That's why he's doing it. He's not wearing that, which is true. You know, how many athletes, and that I try to avoid that a lot. And I think because probably I have a real job that I would say I don't make a living making endorsements. I make a living racing cars. So I can actually pick and choose. I'm not here. So I'm not going to sit here and say, guys, my family was starving and somebody tried to, if it's not a product that is not great, but it's not harming anybody. It's a business, right? It's a deal. And you're not going to obviously never on a consumer market, you're going to please hundred percent of the people. And there is a pros and cons. People that don't like Tony Kanan is not going to buy anything that Tony Kanan is just because they don't like me, you know? So the responsibility of endorsing. So, but specifically on the reflection, it's something that I see making my kids better, but not making my kids better because they're going to be a top athlete. They're going to be, it's making them safer on reflexes when they're driving their cars. When they, like you just said, oh, my mother freaked out when I first, us as parents, the first concern, I don't want my kid to get hurt. No matter what he's doing, if he's climbing on the playground, if he's swimming, if he's jumping on a bike and this product, it's all that. It's like you're improving to just become faster in everything you do. Like you can use that in school. And that's something that I saw a huge part of adding to the community, adding to the people. And then Matt's, you know, I think Matt saw my passion and he says, hey, do you want to do this? And Jay, I, I always had this rule. Uh, I would ne I never invested in anything that I wasn't familiar with or I didn't know about or don't because I don't have a lot of time. So, you know, like when you become successful, I mean, we get how many proposals a day. I have this product. I need you to invest here and there. I was always extremely careful. And honestly, I've never invested in anything because the only thing that I understand is racing. Sure. There is nothing to invest in racing, really. So... Other than buying a team, right? If that's the direction that you had down. The, but that is not an investment. Oh, okay. That's, you do that as a passion. Because, <laughs> you know, we, you know, there's the biggest saying in racing. You know how you make a small fortune in racing? Yeah. Start with a big one. <laughs> racing is definitely not, it's a very risky business. But, and then uh, Reflection was actually the first wheel endorsement that I was actually involved in. I'm part of the company. I've done endorsements. I have nine other different companies that I endorse, but I'm not involved. I'm not on the board. I'm not, I'm just an athlete that, you know, use their product and they advertise that I use the product, which like I said, I'm being careful things that I endorse. It's things that I wear. You're, gonna, you're not going to see me endorsing. I'm endorsed by Hoka, the shoes because of the triathlon. You're never going to see me on the street in another shoe. But not, that's because I really actually like the product. And sometimes, how many times you see athletes they are sponsored by another company and they take a picture it's like why was he wearing that that was the funny thing when lebron i think uh, became a kia spokesperson you're like we know what's in his garage like i mean you know <laughs> and he's uh, doing a selfie between training going from his house to, and inside of the mercedes you guys yeah. do 
<laughs> Come on, man. Maybe fake it's, it a it's, bit, yeah. you know? Maybe a little bit. I would love to understand, Tony, because that's, I think, one of the things that is, I think, one of the reasons people like listen to the game plan is understanding a little bit of the behind the scenes. What does that role as a strategic advisor look like? Are you advising on the product? I know you mentioned you gave product feedback. Is it more on expansion and, you know, going in a different place? What does your role look like? It's a little bit of everything, but the biggest thing is the awareness. But we also focus on what I know, which reaches athletes, right? I mean, Tony Kanan, not going to go to Jay's house that has no idea who I am and knock on your door and say, I have this reflection thing. So the connection is I'm a top athlete. It's easier to open a door. If I call the Pacers, the CEO of Pacers, oh, Tony Kanan is calling or the guy at the Miami Heat or... I mean, talking about basketball because I'm a huge basketball fan, but we I went to Indiana University to try to give to their athletes, to Butler here, which the young kids. And when we're not just trying to get the teams, because usually the worst investment you have is try to sell something to a NBA team or because they want things for free because it's like, okay, well, we're going to support this. What were you going to give us? What are you paying it's us? It's a to? tough lesson a lot of startups learn when they first start selling into teams. So I'm, I'm glad you caught on to that. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm like, guys, those people, how much money do we have to give stuff to them? Because the first conversation would be, we love the product. Uh, we need four of them. So my role is to advise them on that. Get the awareness that it is obviously what I do. It's probably one of the most dangerous sports that they are involved in trying to teach people reflexes and stuff that it's beneficial and actually improving the product itself. I mean, because I've been doing it for a while. So we always say, well, what about it got to one point to give an example that I figured out a couple of the moves that the exercise went. So it went on. It wasn't more in reflex anymore. It was memory. You were predicting. It was memory. Yeah. So guys, we need to like, if, what do we do? They're like, perfect. Let's change that. It's the, just the feedback, right? And when it's a new product, it's easy to say when your product gets out there and then it's tested by thousands of people and you have a thousands of feedback to improve. But when you're a small company like that, there's not a lot of feedback back. So that is actually my biggest role. I'm probably the most hated guy on the board because I'm always uh, complaining about things in a way of, I want to make it better. You know, and like I was saying to you before, I think because every time in the race, I'm in the race car, I'm getting tested. I got to be the best. I have to beat the best. And I'm only as good as my last race. That's kind of the way I conduct also my, so it's like, no, but we're not the best because I tried that other company that does this and they have this better. So how can we, it sounds that I'm always trying to push them to the limit because that's the way I, I live. I'm pushed to my limits every time, but it, that is not one specific role, Jay. It's basically kind of a, a little bit of everything. Yeah, but you're leaning in as a true partner much more than a traditional endorser role, which you've done as well. This is yeah, really which they a, gave you know, me the yeah. option. And I said, look, I love the product. It would be much easier for me to say, all right, you're going to pay me this amount of month. How many posts do you need? Which I've done it before for them for free because I love the product. And, and that's how a lot of my endorsements started it. I like something I post and actually the company reaches out and say, <laughs> hey. So I said, no, let me be part of the company because then it's going to drive me also to wanted to do more and so basically it starts from trying to sell to teams race teams basketball teams and get the context because matt it's matt no offense to matt matt owns reflection and 10 years from now when reflection gets gazillion dollars and he's the ceo they know matt they're going to pick up the phone but right now they pick up the phone easier to tony canon it's a startup and yeah. so that's a door that i can actually open for him and you know, as we talk to people, the part of people that are listening are trying to figure out also how they can invest, how they, you know, I think it's, it's an inspiration. And I think I found out it makes a huge difference to the credibility of your product when you show up in person and you bring in the athlete, right? Or you bring the personality that is in and people understand it's natural. It's not like, oh, he's paying this guy to be here and I'm sitting in the meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got extremely positive response when... I think you can notice the passion that I have for the product just by talking about. And that's the way when I show up in a meeting, that's what I do. And then like you said, people have the BS sensor on. They know if you're doing it because you want to sell or you're doing it because you're like, you really believe in the product. So, and that's something that um, I noticed. It's, it made a huge difference when I show up. I mean, obviously with COVID, we have to kind of change that a little bit, but um, I believe that the product, it's 
awesome. And then people should actually try it. I mean, they have, you know, we're trying to, another hurdle that I said, I said, look, this thing, it's huge. I mean, it's a huge TV. It's in the wall. It's at a gym. I'm like, well, great. But if you want to grow this and you want to, a lot of people don't go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. With COVID especially. I mean, the at-home yeah. fitness, Peloton, all of that stuff has been on a high. Yeah. Right. But also, you're going to tell me I need to buy a 50-inch TV to put it in the wall. It's like too complicated. People get like, we got spoiled nowadays. Like everything we know, like you said, you're looking in the internet. It's like, I'm not going to go out there and buy a TV and have to drill. I don't even know how to drill a hole in the wall. I got to hire somebody. And then the cost starts. So I'm like, guys, we need something portable. The way Tony Kanan is, I want it, I, and I want it now. If you don't have it, I'm going to buy something else, right? If I'm looking for a headphone and I want that and you don't have it, oh, no, you got to wait two months, bye. Or I'll look for somebody else that has the same one or I'll buy the similar one, you know what I mean? So I said, we need to have the product right away, which is hard nowadays because of COVID. But also we need a portable one because I travel a lot. If I'm going to wait every time I'm home to do that exercise, it's going to be once a week, twice a week, because that's average the time I spend at home. And when I'm home after traveling for four days, five days, I'm not going to turn my reflection machine on. I want to be with my kids. So we created one that we can take it. You can take it with you. It's more portable. It's like we're, we're developing to be on a tablet. So, I mean, I'm doing some tests. I've actually probably saying more than I should. Matt's going to kill me, but like... With my travel, I'm on a plane. People think I'm crazy because why are people watching movies and playing games? People think I'm actually playing games. Like, look at this guy with, a, you know, gray hair and playing this game. But it's not. I mean, I'm doing it on my tablet, you know. So those are the things that I, you know, I've been trying to push them. And, and they, they're they a great company. Those guys are young guys. I mean, it's it's uh, they're very open-minded. And I've been learning a lot with them, too. I was going to say, I mean, it's clear how passionate you are about this. We talked about, obviously, incorporating technology in different ways because you want to you wanna stay ahead of the game. That's the number one thing I'm learning about you here. Is this something you're I, – I, it's, it's hard to have a conversation, not talk about retirement because you had already thought about it being your last year <laughs> and then it wasn't and you came back. So, I mean, share a little bit of the mindset of maybe what comes next. Is a role like this with other companies what excites you? How do you think about the next step? Yeah, I mean, I got to figure that after 25 years of racing IndyCar, at some point, it's going to come to an end. And like you said, I tried to retire. But the good thing about it is I wasn't the guy that, you know, you see many athletes. You saw when Michael Jordan, one of my all-time favorites, decides to retire and misses so bad that he comes back. Right? I did not do that. I decided because I could see the light at the end of the tunnel that it was getting more difficult because the young guns were coming up. and. I can see that there's not a lot of places for me to go anymore. So I said, before somebody retires me, I am going to make the decision. And surprisingly enough, people that follow IndyCar and NASCAR, Jimmy Johnson decided to retire from NASCAR, but go race in IndyCar and made a call, make a phone call and says, I don't want to do a whole season. Do you want to share with me? And here you go. I'm back. I never retired. That was actually the year that I announced that deal came in the middle of the year. So I'm kind of like, announced but i'm not anymore so but yeah what's beyond jay it's uh that's the question that everybody asks me nowadays in every interview that i do because you're getting to a point that athletes have a very short career right and then i have to say i probably had one of the longest in racing i'm 46 it's unheard of that in my generation somebody lasted this long so i don't have a plan which people think wow, this guy's not organized. I love the role that I have with reflection. I think that is a lot of potential for me to be more involved with that, for sure. Not just with them, but with other companies. I love the speaking role. I told you probably 10% of my story in the beginning of the podcast. And I think that is an inspiration for some people. I do a lot of that for my sponsors, for the companies. I mean, I do speeches for 500 people just talking about how I made it yeah, and what to try to inspire people to not to get down and believe that it's possible. Right. I mean, I guess this was actually a, a full podcast talking about inspiring people, what to do, if it's investing or not. And so that is something that I like it a lot. And also commentating the races on TV, yeah. it's something that I've been doing lately. So there are many angles that I can't, you know, I don't think I I'm like, 
well, I have established business. I'm only going to focus on, let's put it this way, if reflection is going to take 80% of my time when I retire because the company is being extremely successful and I don't have time to do anything else, that's what I'm going to do. But it's I don't have yeah. a, a straight answer for that. No, I think it's fair to think about, and, and I know as an athlete, you know, the number of athletes we've talked to, it's sometimes the single-minded focus is really what you need in order to achieve those goals. And I think there's some for whom having, you know, being able to scratch that itch off the, the court allows them to focus more. And, and you hear that from some modern athletes today where they say, I need to have my creative side over here, but then when I'm on, I'm on. And then for others, it's, listen, I can only think about one thing because that's what I, I need to make sure I, I do a good job with. And, and I think it's, there's no right way, right? It really depends on the individual and the personality. No. And again, I'm that type of person when I'm racing, I have to think about, look at my life. I told you my routine. It's all involving the racing part. And then when I have a break, I do your podcast. I talk to, to Matt about reflection. So the dynamic will change. But also, if you think about every successful athlete that did a high-performance job, it took 80% of his time to do that. And then you don't see, when you see an athlete trying to balance that out, that means he's trying to phase out that performance. It's not as good as it used to be. And then we can use as, oh, well, he's getting old. It's not that, guys. We don't get, like, we get old, but we don't, until if you're like 60 years old and you can't walk, an athlete's always going to be an athlete. You're going to, okay, it's going to take a longer to recover. But what changes is your priorities, right? When I started racing, I was 20 years old. I live in a one-bedroom apartment. All I thought about was racing. I had no other problems, no other issues. I had no other business. I didn't have a, fam a family. I mean, my wife. My Now, I have four kids. I have a wife. I have other things. Your priorities started to change. But unfortunately, when you're racing at the level that I'm at, Everything, any of those things that I just told you, they come secondary. That is no way. I can't. And they know that. My family knows that. The day that you start thinking the other way, it's when you start balancing it out. That's when you have to say, okay. So to me, because I had to come back from retirement, partial retirement, I'm still in that mode. So until then, I think, which my contract ends in the, in the end of next year, I think we could have that conversation again. Then I say, okay, now. I even then think I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to take a month or two off. And now I got to look what really what's going to happen. But there is no, as an athlete, I was fortunate enough. If you're a smart athlete, you work hard enough that you can do whatever you want when you retire. I'm not saying that you need to be a millionaire, but if you live in your own means, nobody's talking about you need to have 10 cars, watches, none of that stuff. If you plan right, to live the life that you want to live or in your means, then basically, Jay, I, I can join you in your podcast every week if I want to. You know what I mean? That's pretty much my plan. Yeah. Tony, two more questions before we close. I mean, this has been uh, so enlightening for me, and I know will be for the listeners as well. I'd love to talk a little bit about the idea of perseverance. And I think for entrepreneurs, especially, success can come in waves, which means that there's a long period of time where you're working really hard, but you're not seeing the results that you want. I think you've gone through those ups and downs, you know, in your career, obviously 2004, and then, you know, to 2013, uh, winning the Indy 500. How do you think about perseverance? And is it something that can be learned? Or is it just a personality trait that some people have that ability to persevere? It can be learned. But I think the biggest mistake people make is setting a time. I've been doing this for so long, and I, I'm not successful. Who said that? Where's the rule book that said that? If you try to run the Indy 500 12 times and you don't win, you need to quit. You try to do your podcast, but you only have three listeners a week. After three months, you need to quit. Why? It baffles me. So I, I personally think perseverance comes to how much are you willing to sacrifice and how far you want to be pushed? Because... The biggest mistake we all make is listening to other people because that's how I started. Jay, come on, man. Nobody's listening to this. You should, you need to do something else, right? Or somebody says, no, 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 Jay, it's great. Keep going, keep going. Why do we need that confirmation? What do you want to do? That, for me, was never about what other people thought. I got asked questions. 
are you okay if, if you're going to be one of the greatest IndyCar drivers never to win the 500? You're already 38 years old. It's coming to an end. I mean, I won the 500 in 2013 and I'm still racing at the Indy 500. So people that told me that in 2012, that's 10 years ago. So that means I still had 10 more tries, 10 more years to do it. So who was listening to those kind of people? Or honestly, who were listening to anybody? You got to listen to one person and only. It's you. The day that you say, you know what? I am going to give up. You're not a quitter. You feel like it because once you're not in it, it's not going to work. Once are you looking for the confirmation of somebody else, if you should be doing this, that is the difference asking for advice than actually asking for an opinion because everybody's going to have an opinion. But my opinion, I don't know. I mean, somebody that knows me for 10 years doesn't know me for 46. You don't know where I'm at mentally anyway. For me, perseverance means how much are you willing to sacrifice and be strong enough that you're going to fail. Maybe it will never work, but you'll find a positiveness to say, it didn't work the way I wanted it to work, but it worked. Yeah. Right? I don't know if I was able to express what... No, you know, I think you really clearly. I think it's the idea that it's not up to somebody else when you succeed and you are the only one that decides. Yeah. But also, what is success? Mm. Because... Now I'm going to ask your opinion. Then you're going to tell me, but then I might disagree with you. Yeah. Who am I to tell you about your great podcast that you have, all your initiatives to help startups? Who am I to say you're not successful? If you are in your own mind, who am I to tell you you're not? I might say, well, you're not as successful as I think you should be. Well, but that's my opinion. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's so interesting, honey, because that's been my philosophy a lot with, uh, especially creating content, right? We talked about one of the big things I do with our companies is helping with media. My belief has been is that people quit too soon. Why? Because they go on social media, somebody says, oh, this sucks. I mean, I was 13 years old. My dad passed away. I remember half of my dad's family saying to my mother, you're crazy. This kid needs to go to school, mm -hmm. get a graduation and go to work. The dream is over. Yeah. His dad is gone. You guys aren't going to have any money to support this. Well, how about if I had done that? Um, I would have been a successful CEO. I'll be on Forbes under 40 because I'm the whatever. Was that what I wanted to do? No. All right. Well, thank you for your opinion. But that's if, if let me come to that conclusion myself. Yeah. Right. But it's hard. It's easy to say. I mean, I can sit here with you and we can preach that. But I, I fell into it plenty of times. I asked myself, I just said that a half an hour ago. I, we are insecure human beings. We are. When you start your ventures or you're an investor, you never know. You believe it's going to work, but you're like, man, if that doesn't work. So you, that's why you invested safe or you put more risk. That's how we live life. Yeah. Somebody gave me advice when I started an investor where they said, uh, Jay, it's going to take you at least five years to know whether you're good at this job. So if you can take five years of not knowing then fine, then it's a good career path for you. And Correct. I'm seven years in now, so you know maybe I'm getting a little bit of a signal. But Well, you get better. I hope so, because if <laughs> not, you also have to look at yourself and say, you know what, man, well, I might yeah, do something right? else. But it, it is interesting. It's, it's a tough question. I get asked a lot of the times, especially like my kids too, how do you know that's what you wanted it to be? And nowadays you see that there's too much opportunities out there. And then kids get confused because... They, oh, no, I should do this. No, no, I should do that. I said, listen, guys, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. Then, well, okay, that's a good start. Yeah. But then when start doing something and then you go, no, but now I got to go. I said, I became a good race car driver for a reason, one reason only. That's all I wanted it to do. That was a start. And then I said, that is no for, I already have the no for answer. So I'm going to go for the yes. And that is nothing that is going to get in my path that is going to prevent me from doing what I want. And obviously, I think I had the, probably the harshest example of losing my dad. So nothing else could be worse than that. So it kind of made me stronger in a way saying, well, whatever, if I don't race, whatever, I, I lost my dad. <laughs> you know, I think it's the question is, how much are you willing to take the failure? And how much you're going to be strong enough to believe that you're still on the right path? 
Tony, I think that's a fantastic place to leave it because I don't think we can end on a better note than that. So I want to thank you again for joining us on The Game Plan, sharing your wisdom, sharing your experiences, and then obviously telling us more about some of the work that you're doing with Reflection. So uh, thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on soon as the company starts to grow. And You know, I promise you one thing. Let's do this. In a year from now, you ask me the question, what am I going to do after I retire? I would love to know. So I'll come here. We'll deliberate together what's next for me. I would love that, Tony. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, man. That's it for this week's episode of The Game Plan with Jake Kapoor and Tim Cott. As always, thanks so much for listening. This episode was edited by Emmanuel Maestri, and our theme music is called Champ by Stuart Moore. Huge thanks to indie car legend Tony Kanan for joining us, and to Matt Campana and the team at Reflection for the intro to Tony. Hey, did you know that you can watch as well as listen to The Game Plan? Head over to our YouTube page for tons of great video content. And if you're still listening, you must really love the game plan. Give us a like, retweet, or hey, better yet, just leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'll see you next week on The Game Plan. Game Plan.